The Scene on Screen podcast presents Three Men and a Meeple. Are you interested in playing games that don't appear on the screen? Well, that's why we're here. Join David, Sean, and Owen while they talk about all things tabletop. Now pass the dice, because our next turn starts now. Welcome, welcome to the Not Seen on Screen podcast. Yeah, that's right. Myself and David have branched out and we've changed things up just a little bit for all of you guys. I guess you could say we rolled the dice on our show, huh? We did. And (laughs) there goes our pun 30 seconds in. David, I'd be remiss to not explain A, what we're doing here and let in our special guest who's sitting in our our green room. But uh, just quickly, what are we doing here? Why do we have a new theme for something different? All right. Well, so for for our listeners, uh, you guys know that I'm big into board games and tabletop. And every so often, Sean and I go on our little adventures, and I end up getting in trouble with how many games that I buy. And I um, every time. And there is a, a huge world of board games and tabletop and just everything out there that could l- literally be its own show. And so we decided to put something together. Um, we brought in a very good friend of ours. Owen, uh, we we all went to school together, so this is how we kind of know each other. Uh, but Owen has been playing board games and tabletop stuff for longer than I have, and he's kind of like our resident expert on some of the topics. So this show is going to be a little different than our regular scene on screen podcast where we're going to talk about things such as you know how to get into board games, different types of board games. Uh, topics that maybe aren't necessarily common discussions. Um, we, we plan on having different episodes. One, we're going to talk about you know the difference or who decides to sleeve games and who doesn't. You know, um, we, we might have some shows about dungeon crawlers and you know how th- games like Gloomhaven kind of took the world by storm and stuff like that. Um, our first episode today um, is going to just be about beginner games um, and how to branch off from the classics. So board games have become a big, uh, a growing market over the last few years, especially with Kickstarter um, where these huge new board games are coming out. And it's always can be kind of difficult when you are trying to convince your friends who either don't really play board games or all they know are the family classics like monopoly scrabble clue um and little do they know there's a huge a whole world out there of different games um so today's episode we're definitely gonna be talking about beginner games that everyone should play and how to branch out from those classics and we are going to give some tips on how to convince your friends and your family to play things that are different Um, absolutely so before we go any further because I can already feel your passion and energy just <laughs> blasting through the microphone. You forgot about actually bringing Owen into the room. Well, I was you, gonna, t- you told I was everybody gonna, his name. I was going to do that. So okay. <laughs> before we get into our main topic, I want to uh, officially introduce Owen. And how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, happy to be here. We've, Excited. Uh, it's been a long time coming. We've been kind of discussing the show for a few weeks now, and it's, I, I know I'm, I'm pretty excited to get this under underway. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Owen? Let our viewers or listeners know kind of uh, 
what makes you tick, you know, your background in the tabletop and board game world. Yeah, sure. Um, started uh, really playing modern board games probably about five, six years ago. And, uh, and you know, you, you find that one game that just clicks. And then next thing you know, I have a, a wall of board games. I have a, a literally a board game room that's just full of board games of like all different kinds. And, and I just love sharing them and, and love, uh, you know, just going through and seeing all the different uh, art and like mechanics and, and just uh, I, I love the community and just everything about it. It's just great. Do you have a like a fond board game memory of when you were a child? Not really. I didn't really play board games when I was a kid. Uh, I don't know. They just all seemed a little too much like. Monopoly, I was like, counting, this is stupid. And <laughs> uh, like, I got to count money. Blah, blah. And uh, yeah, I didn't really play a lot when I was a kid. And then um, there, I got into it. Somebody invited me over to a, a house party, saying like, and they um, they pulled out uh, Betrayal at the House on the Hill. And I was like, oh, God, this, this looks so complicated. And uh, I don't know if I'll like it. And I was kind of nervous because everybody else had played it before and I was the newbie and they explained it. And uh, I just had so much fun with it. And I was like, oh my God, like these are, this is, this is awesome. Like everybody's just having a good time around a table, a few drinks, snacks, and it was just so much fun. Nice. Do you, do you-, do you know what's really insane about that? Sorry. The first time I got into, and we'll talk about it more later, but the first time I got really introduced to games that weren't Monopoly was also betrayal. And I remember the one person I was with at the time in the room was like, this looks too complicated. And then we played something else completely. So I find that really funny that a lot of people get introduced, or I shouldn't say a lot, but two out of the three of us were introduced to the same game before. Well, I'm going to stop changed. you right there because uh, one of the first main or, or different board games that I played was actually betrayal. That's so great. <laughs> um, it's one of those games that I think anyone who has played any more i would say modern board games knows of the game it's probably has played at least once and it is one of those games it does have a lot of parts it does have a lot of rules and stuff like that but it's not too difficult um and i think that's a great intro game f- for some people but uh sean what about you uh what what's your history in the tabletop world well i'm currently using a tabletop to hold up my computer and my ipad no i'm just kidding uh, yeah. um Basic, like a lot of our board games actually happened up at the cottage. It was more of a like a summer and it's raining thing. We didn't really have a lot of board games at home. I would say like we had your your basic Monopoly, your clue, uh, your your junior versions of that. Right. So we had those. Um, we had a lot of like uh, moving part games or peripheral games. So there was like Mousetrap, Shula or it's like a shuffleboard thing and then mm-hmm. like Crokinole, all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I've moved on quite a bit from there. I like to play games that make me think a little bit more. And, uh, I really do enjoy the type of game that I, I can try and plan a few moves ahead, not only if it's team-based, but on my own. So I, I like, I'm as much as a lot of people don't like Catan, I really love playing Catan or Sequins or Seven Wonders, just something to like make me think about turns beyond kind of the now. But I think I've had the same kind of adventure a lot of other people did. Family games, party card games, and then games that make you think. Yeah, I'm kind of similar in that sense. I, I remember growing up, 
and going to my best friend's house across the street and playing games like um, the game of life. And we would play clue a lot. You know, those were the games that people had in their houses at the time. Um, You know, the, the Hasbro games. And it wasn't until later on in my life, um, kind of more so in my college years where I would get together with some friends and we'd start playing other games, party games and stuff like that. But I'm going to say it's probably in the last few, like four or five years. Uh, that's when I really started getting into more heavy games, so to speak, and branching out. And my collection, uh, my collection has changed and and grown drastically over the last few years um, to the point where I'm looking at the floor right now and I can count like three, six games <laughs> that currently don't have a home in my apartment. Um, you can leave them in my house. Yeah. When, next time I'm over, I'll bring some. You're just going to have board games all over the city. You're just gonna Well, that's like- the thing is if you take your board games to other people's houses, you always have something to do when you go over. That's true. <laughs> yeah i mean the yeah. last time you did that we ended up buying the game or getting well, it for go, Christmas, right? one of the two i remember like you were saying that like don't buy games if i already have them that way like we don't have two it's like well i kind of want it for my collection but <laughs> well the funny thing is is i actually recently just bought uh what is it Bl- blackout hong kong <laughs> yeah, and i have that too now <laughs> you have it but i bought it it was 20 bucks so i figured why not yeah um so we have um, some pretty interesting topics for today. I, I have a quick question for you oh, before sure. you go on. Yeah. All right. Um, do you guys remember the first game when you graduated from like Monopoly and Clue? Like, I'm not saying those are bad games, but do you remember the first game that really made you fall in love with a different type of game? For me, it was Coup. I remember going to a house party and a bunch of people were playing this game and everybody was laughing and joking around about being the Duke or the ambassador. And that really kind of got me into like, wow, there's other games out there. We can buy games that don't involve saying sorry or trouble. So for me, that was one that really made me fall in love with the idea of gaming in a different way or tabletops. Yeah, for me, like it. every time I get a new game that has a new mechanic, like I just that like reignites my love for the game and like just learning new new styles of game. Um but yeah, games like, like I said, uh, Betrayal at the House on the Hill, that just, that's the game that made me fall in love with games. Dead of Winter, like just getting so involved in the theme and just having everybody just so like into it, just, just love it so much. Mm-hmm. There would be probably two games that really sparked my love and interest in the hobby. Uh, one, Owen just mentioned Dead of Winter. Uh, my buddy brought that over to a friend's place and it was one of these things that he picked it up because he had seen it on a a youtube video and thought it would be really cool and he brought it over and explained the rules and we we played through it and it was just kind of mind-blowing at the time because it was the first game that i had played where it was a essentially a fully co-op game to an extent uh and everyone was working together for a common goal, but it was difficult. Like it wasn't easy, even though we had four or five people at the table, you know, we still lost. Um, and it was, it was an enjoyable loss though, right? Because you were learning this game and playing it together. Um, but 
Sean, it was actually one time with you. We, uh, I had come down to Toronto. This was back when we were doing our one of our earlier shows. It's a smile on my face. No way. It can't be. I, I don't know. And we were uh, <laughs> we were actually going through some random random stores, and I saw this one game on a shelf, and it was Elder Sign. And I was like, what is this game? It looks so interesting. And since seeing that game, and it was a little expensive there, and I was like, uh, you know, I, I don't really know too much about this, but it was one of those games that just kind of stuck in the back of my head. And I eventually found it for a really good price. I imported it from the UK. I paid like 40 bucks for it, which at the time was was pretty good. I think it was going for about 60 bucks at the time. And I played it. And Elder Sign is by far my all-time favorite game of all time. You've said all time three times. Exactly. Because it's, <laughs> I, I just he, love I it. He likes it. I just love it that much. Um, and that game really sparked my like really pushed my love of board games even further because with that I was it, it kind of showed me that there's more to game mechanics than just rolling a dice and moving a character you, you know you had me really excited there for a second because I was thinking about the time we went to uh, one of our friends places when you were visiting and we took survive and we played survive. I was like, that game this was is your favorite too. game. <laughs> this is amazing. I love that game. Yeah. That game is pretty good too. That's the one with the sharks, right? Yeah. And yeah, like, and you're like either an island. asshole or you're not an asshole. If you play the Loch Ness monster, it's, yeah. it's very up in the air. That was a good game. So let's start off with the basics, how to branch out from family classics. Now, we're going to ask you guys a few questions, but we're going to start the conversation based off these two fundamentals. What makes a good game for beginners and what to keep in mind when in introducing games to people? The floor is yours, gentlemen. All right. Uh, <laughs> do, you, do you want to go first? Or me go no, first? Owen, Owen, you can uh, okay. take it away. First of all, I just want to say the classics are classics for a reason. They, they've survived the test of time. Like I will never pass up a game of Clue. I love Clue. Um, as for branching out from games like that, uh, I feel like if you want to find a game that you're going to introduce to a new player, you have to find something that's simple enough that they're not going to like, when you put down, when you open it up and you unpack it, it's, they're not going to be like, Oh, what, what is this? What am I getting into? Or you're going to pull out like a 30 page rule book. You want something that's uh small, that has a very easy rule set. Uh, yeah, Betrayal is kind of like a daunting game in that that sense. And I think that was a game that a lot of us were introduced to. And we all have the same kind of response. Like this game looks intense. Yeah, that or Dead of Winter. When you start, when you like, because I think there's like something like 50 zombie miniatures. And when you start mm -hmm. putting them all up and you start stacking them all out and opening the board and putting all the location cards out and all the decks and people are just like, what, what is this? Like, mm -hmm. I think this is too much or it's intimidating. You want something that's going to be like, you just like, it's like a deck of cards. You plop it out and then you like got like your little rules pamphlet. You can explain the game in like, you know, a few, a few minutes and you're like, you just go. Then you just kind of like go through that. Um, I have a, a few friends who are like, I'm not going to play a game unless it has like, if it has more than three rules, forget it. I'm not going to like play it. Uh, so they're pretty much limited to go fish and Uno. No, Go yeah, Fish has more complicated rules than you think. That's true. Um, like competitive level Go Fish. 
it, it's it's funny you mentioned that too because I have some friends that are very much into like if it's not a simplistic game, we don't want to play it. I'd rather just laugh and have a good time. Um, and like games like Boulder Dash kind of blend that line, but I I found now with some people like the people that we play games with there's always a YouTube tutorial that gets sent out to the group beforehand. And it's like, okay, guys, today we're playing horrified. Please watch this video. So you have a basic understanding before we sit down and play the rules. Yeah. Which that, yeah, is a luxury I, now. I, I've, I've tried that. I think uh, at one point I was trying to get organized a game of Twilight Imperium, which is a massive, massive, massive game. And I was like, look, if we want to get through this in one day, like one sitting, please read these rules or watch this video or do something to prepare. So I'm not teaching you how to play this game for two hours. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many people actually did. (laughs) I didn't. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But see, that's the thing is, is if we are, if we're talking about teaching or bringing people who only know clue and who only know monopoly and, and Scrabble and those games, they have some fundamental of basic game mechanics. You know, Monopoly in the sense is very simple where you roll your dice, you move your pawn, and you can buy and sell stuff. Um, Clue, I think, is a little more in depth in the sense that you're kind of working together, right? But you're also solving a puzzle separately. Um, so if people know how to play those games, they should be able to understand uh, and have some slightly complex rules. Now, Owen, you said, you know, you have some friends who, if there's more than three rules, they don't want to play the game. Mm-hmm. Those aren't people that you want to play board games with then, right? Like, um, I, I think board games requires a certain level of desire to learn something new and to try and wrap your head around a, a, a level of co- complexity. Um, because they're very different than, say, uh, video games where you have it's the same controller regardless of the game that you're playing. The only thing that difference is the buttons do different things, right? right? Whereas you can play, you can have four or five different board games out, and they all have different gameplay mechanics, different components, different rule set, right? So, rules complexity is is a big thing when taken into consideration teaching people board games um my girlfriend for example she likes to play board games but at the same time she doesn't like to necessarily read through the rules and stuff like that um and i it's i'm not always the best at explaining uh how a game plays so when i am trying to find a game to play with her i'm looking for games that have fairly simple rule sets and you had mentioned you know you don't want a game that has a 30 page rule book as a beginner game and i wouldn't i would i would definitely not recommend that um there are some games that have literally their world the rules are on a like a little pamphlet right so rule complexity is is probably the most important thing that I think when picking a game to teach to people. Um, Because like we had all mentioned uh, um, Betrayal, right? That game is very complex. When you look at it, it's we know how to play it. So to us, it's not that complex, but I do not. um, (laughs) (laughs) Just just out there, we played for like, we set up the board 
And then everybody, I think we played Anomia instead, which is also complex for that group of people. But so, well, this is a prime example, right? Like uh, Owen and I have played it. We can set the game up and and a quick review of some of the, the, the rules will kind of bring us back to the level of, oh yeah, I know how to play this. Right. But Sean, you said that you guys set the game up and looked at it and it was too complex and then played something else. And I yeah, think that's a was- very that's a very common occurrence. And that's also what can deter people from wanting to play new games, right? People are afraid to learn new things and branching out. Yeah, I think a lot of it honestly had to do with I remember the night very vividly. It was we went we went over to some friends' houses to play or house to play some board games. And two people really wanted to play this game and everybody was kind of in more of a, a social mood. And I remember there was like six of us and two people saw that rule book and everything kind of gets set up and things start to get explained. And it was, do you have something that we could all la- like play and laugh at? And that's just boom. That's how quickly it happened. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And that, that's where like, you, you got to kind of read the room. You got to read the people you're sitting down with and, and be like, okay, like, this might not be the game for this time or, 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 you know, this is a bit too complex. Like in that situation, you'd pull out, say like cards against the humanity or something where it has literally three rules. It's like you play a card, uh, like a community card, everybody plays a card. Mm-hmm. Boom, that, that's the rules, right? Like, um, so yeah, it comes down to, to who you're playing with and, and what their level of complexity is. Are they feeling like learning something new? Like, that's a big thing. Like, is somebody going to like, is somebody willing to sit down and say, okay, teach me this game? Well, I think that kind of comes down to their, their, the patience level, right. Mm-hmm. As well. You know, some people don't want to sit around for two hours learning a game. Right. Um, I think if you are learning a game for the first time, even though games all have a, an average or an estimated game playing time on the box, if you're playing the game for the first time, easily add an hour to that. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. So some people don't want to sit down there and learn these games and spend two hours playing this game um, because they don't have the patience to do it. So I think in that case, you need to start them with smaller, easier to learn games. Like who is a prime example, right? Like there are some rules to that game. But it is easy to set up and it, and it is easy to play. And it is also a game that is a very, it's a very social game. Yeah. And when people kind of disconnect the fact that, or when they lose themselves in the game because they're having fun socializing with people and not having to kind of think about their every move, what everyone else is doing. And there is a little bit of that, but it's a social deduction game, right? Like you're trying to be sneaky and, convince the other players that what you're saying is truth right but like i said it's a very social game and you you can have a lot of fun doing it when people realize that oh man this is what games can be like you know you can play a game of coup in about 10 minutes but next thing you know you've been playing it for an hour and you're just kind of lost in the game yeah so yeah so i think perfect so yeah so i was just i think games like that you know that have that short time play that don't take a lot of time to learn and teach are great entry games to try and show people who are otherwise not sure about how much time they want to invest in games. Because like I said, 
next thing they know, they've been playing this game for an hour. And then they're like, wait a second, you know, that wasn't too bad. You know, I was having a lot of fun. Maybe I will try and play something a little, a little longer. Maybe I, you know, play something that's similar, right? Add a few more mechanics to that. Uh, So before, before you get too deep into that, I think you're leading yourself to the question I'm about to ask. But when it comes to convincing your friends to play something new or difficult, what's your approach? Now, I know, Owen, you have an, in, an intense collection and David, yours is growing. But as somebody like me, like I know David has to kind of approach things in two stages because he knows I'm interested in playing and learning. But he also is trying to like figure out what I'd be more willing to learn at the time. So just go through kind of what you both go through when you're choosing a game and then trying to convince your friends to play said game. All right. Yeah. So like, um, if I, if I have a friend and we've played a few games, I kind of know what they like. Uh, I'm going to start to, to swing a little bit heavier games with them. Uh, maybe try to something with a theme. So like if they're into horror, I'm going to be like, okay, Hey, you like horror? Let's play dead of winter. It's got zombies. We're like pretty much playing as the walking dead. Or um, you like high fantasy? Hey, let's um, I don't know. Let, let, let's let's play like Mice and Mystics or something like that, right? Like uh, you got to try to to find games that are gonna uh, pique people's interests, that are gonna get them involved. Um, I think, yeah, finding something with a great theme that's gonna like uh, they're, they're gonna get immersed in and have a lot of fun with is super important. Yeah, I, I think so. Sean, you're a prime example of when I'm trying to show you a new game. Um, you have to know the person for sure. You have to know what they're interested in or even kind of what they are moderately interested in. Um, and you have to kind of understand their background a little bit as well. Um, like I know that you really enjoy competitive games, you know, like Risk, for example, games where you can completely obliterate your other opponent. Hell yeah. So I know that if I know that there's a game that has that kind of mechanic, I know that it would be a good one to kind of introduce you to. But I also know that you have mentioned to me that you'd be interested in learning like Dungeons and Dragons and those mechanics. Well, I have some board games that, you know, once we can get together more regularly, I have some board games that are they're tabletop games, but they're in the Dungeons and Dragons universe, right? And they use some of the similar mechanics. So you, you have to look at the, the person and the people that are interested in games and try and cater to their interests a little bit. Because if someone is interested in Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons, but they don't want to play the, the actual tabletop RPG aspect of it, but they like the universe, well, there's a lot of stuff based off of that that you can kind of use to show them the universe. And maybe eventually they might be wanting to do the actual kind of RPG role playing. Um, but then for me, a big, a big part of introducing a new game to someone else is how well do I know that game? Oh yeah. Because, uh, and this is going to be a, a whole topic for another episode, but teaching games can be very difficult if you are not, either a good teacher or if you don't know the game inside out and you don't even have to know the game inside out, but you have to know it well enough to explain the basics of it and then expand on that. And Owen and I are both 
have both experienced this quite a bit over the last few months because, you know, we get together fairly regularly and play board games. And almost every time we get together, we're playing a new game, right? It's been awesome. And, I've been loving and, it. Yeah, it's great. But at the same time, every time we get together, we play a new game that someone, that one person or two people in the group haven't played. So it comes down to one person to explain the game to the other people. And the first thing involved in getting someone to play a game is you have to sell them the game, right? Uh, You have to make the game sound interesting. Uh, And sometimes that's harder to do depending on how complex the game is. Right. Um, so I think probably the best game that the easiest game to sell someone on what, for me was uh, Fury of Dracula. Oh, God. <laughs> the, the concept b- behind that game is one person plays Dracula and everyone else plays hunters and they are trying to find Dracula in Europe. That is the concept of the game. So if someone likes that, that idea and you're like, OK, that sounds interesting then you have to know the basis basics of the game. And that game is pretty easy to teach. I explained to you the, the basics after just reading the instruction manual. I had never actually played it. That that was the first time that we played it. And, but I read the instruction instruction manual. I understood the concept of it. I watched some videos online so I could explain to you the basics without you having to read through the instruction manual. Right. Yeah, and that went that went really well. Um, Because yeah, you explained it clearly, like the actions. uh, We read through some of the rules, and then like if we had any questions while playing, uh, you know, we would uh, you look in the rule book, and it was you know a well written rule book, so it's easy to find everything. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we just kind of plotted on. So uh, I I think teaching or or bringing new games to the table and and getting people involved is a it's a two tiered system. You have to sell the game and and play to the interests of the person or the people that you want to introduce these games to. But also it's a requirement for you to know the game and be able to teach it. Yeah. One thing I like to do is uh, when you get a when you put a game down and you get the rule book out, uh, usually and every rule book, unless I don't know, it's a game that doesn't have this. Uh, there's usually a little introduction bit that ex- kind of like explains the story or like um, uh, an idea of like the concept or something like that. So I'll usually um, read the little preamble being like talking about like the situation or if it's like, you know, fantasy, like you, you read the story and that kind of gets people involved in the story of what's happening or why they're, why are they playing this game in the first place? They're like, Oh, now we actually have a purpose for, for playing, you know, to finish this quest or to uh, build this building or something. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, Machikaro is a prime example of that. It's a very simple and basic game. And the story behind that is you are trying to build up this, the town of Machikoro and build the infrastructure to become the mayor. That's that's the that's the story behind the game, and it gives everyone an idea on what to do. So, yeah. if a, if a game rulebook has a story or a little blurb about what's going on in the game, I think that's a, a great point you made. That that is also a great way to pique someone's interest. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Owen. 
Oh, I was just gonna say it just gives it a little bit more uh, depth. You know, it gets you a little more involved. The uh, the one for Twilight Imperium is like four pages long. So I tried to read that to my gaming group, and I was like, no, this is too much. <laughs> It, yeah. it it's funny like we we have a list of questions that we're we're going to go through right now where you kind of have to ask yourself before you introduce a game to your group and to tell a quick story which we've told on the 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 actual scene on screen podcast myself and david were in a board game shop here in kitchener and we heard somebody explain a game to other people and we promptly both bought copies now i don't know about <laughs> you david but mine's still sealed i haven't opened it yet oh you because, monster well i wanted to play it with you and we didn't have the opportunity because uh, like COVID and stuff but yeah. um we both bought galaxy trucker on a complete whim because the guy explaining it to these two girls about a game to buy for her boyfriend was enough for us to buy copies that's awesome it was it was like the most surreal kind of experience because i was like mm-hmm. i could really kind of I could, I could, I could play that. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. And but- and a lot of the times when, and I know Owen, you probably do the same thing. When I am looking at a game to buy, I will, I'll do extensive research. You know, Board Game Geek is the first place you look. You look at the user rating. For me, you know, I have a a, a six, six and a half is somewhere where where I'm like, okay, you know what, this is something that I think that it might be good. Um, I I watch videos. I I read comments on reddit right so we do a lot of research into these games but then yeah this was a an a time where we were just kind of in the aisle listening to this guy explain this game to some people and we're like you know what i'm sold i wasn't going to buy this game to begin with it wasn't really on my radar but now that blip is super bright (laughs) and we both walked out with copies of it so Funny enough, um, so I used to, when I was living in Toronto, I'd shop at 401 Games all the time. And every once in a while, I'd be in there looking at games, looking at games. And I'd see like a couple or two people or like, you know, some friends looking at a game that I really like. And they're like holding it and they're humming and hawing about it. And sometimes I'll just like peek over and be like, hey guys, that game is great. Like you should, like, if you're thinking about getting it, you should get it because of these reasons. I know that's like super nerdy. Like I don't work in the store. I'm like, but I'm like, hey, you know what? You guys should try this game because it is awesome. I, I don't well, believe we that's kind of did that too. We did that all. too. Remember? So there was a, a <laughs> betrayal a group, again. Yeah, betrayal. So a group of um, people were looking at a game to get, and they were looking at betrayal at House in the Hill, and they're like, oh well, what's this one? That's just betrayal, and it's betrayal legacy. And they were going to get betrayal at House in the Hill, and as great as that game is, there was there are a lot of kind of broken mechanics in the game and some confusing rules, right? But Betrayal Legacy kind of took that game, fixed a lot of the problems with it, and added a legacy storytelling component to it. But then at the end, you have a fully customized game that you can play scrimmage just like regular Betrayal at Betrayal at the House on the Hill. So they were kind of, they're going to get this in and I don't like to normally do this because it just kind of shows that you're eavesdropping. But I told them, I was like, you know what, honestly, the better purchase right now is Betrayal Legacy because you have a game that lasts 16 or sorry, 13 um, games that tells a story. You customize the board and when you're done, you have a fully customized game that you can play over and over and over again. And they're like, oh, wow, that's, 
that's actually great. Uh, thanks. And they ended up getting Betrayal Legacy. And no, we don't work at the store. But th- And I think that's what is great about this hobby, though, is that you can go into a game store with people who and, and be shopping for games and people in there will have a collection of 200 games and someone right beside them will have, you know, Harry Potter Monopoly. Two very different people all going for the same in there for the same reason. And you could give a suggestion to either one of them and they would both accept it willingly if they've never played the game or if they were kind of on the fence about something. Yeah. It's a, such a great community. I love it. So uh, before we get into the five, the five burning questions you should ask yourself or your friends for that matter to, to defend you both. I don't believe it's nerdy and I don't think it's inappropriate because the same thing happens when you're standing in a video game store. Oh, that's true. Yeah. People like this is the culture and the community we've chosen to be in. And if you're in a 401 games, a uh, J and J's David, I forget the other name of the, the one you really like that's been closed for a year in, in uh, Scarborough War game bliss. That's the one. Or if you're in like a microplay, which also sells tabletop games now, like people are asking the people who are intently looking at shelves, mm-hmm. A, because the employees dress the same way as you, but B, they might have an insight. Like I remember to go video games for two seconds. Somebody asked me what kind of game I liked that was going to burn up a ton of time. And he said he was really into Grand Theft Auto and he liked it, but he wanted something different. So I was just like, you should get Red Dead 2. And the guy bought it. (laughs) And it's the same thing with board games, like what David did with those girls, which were the same from the Galaxy Trucker thing, I believe. No, it was a different group of people. Just never feel nerdy or like if they're standing there for a long period of time, if you want to offer a suggestion, people love that stuff in those stores because sometimes they don't know. Mm -hmm. And that's the big thing. Now, and, yeah. and even if someone's already played the game, like if you're like, oh, you know what, this is a really good one. If they weren't looking at it and they say, oh, yeah, I already have that. Then it kind of sparks a conversation about the game itself. Right. And you yeah. can talk about how great it was or if you liked it or didn't like it. Right. So. So you ready for the five questions you should ask yourself and your group before you're ready to play? Yeah. Question number one. What is this person's level of patience? Are you going to be able to sit down at a table for an hour or only 15 minutes and discover what tolerances are like for your group? Uh, yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Do you want to go, David? Oh, no. Go, go, go for it. Yeah. So, yeah. Again, when you're sitting down with somebody, um, you want to be able to, to judge if if they're going to like, if you're going to put down a game that's going to take an hour, they're just going to get up and leave. Right. You don't, you don't want to make that the end of, of their board game experience. You want to say, okay, is this a newbie? Let's put down a quick game. Let's put down Hannaby. Let's put down flux. Let's put down like, uh, just something light, something easy just to get them involved. Or if they're saying, you know what? I, I see all these board games on your shelf or, Hey, this game looks really interesting. Like I'm interested. Let's, put this down and, and I'm going to warn them. I'm going to say, Hey, this is a long game, but, uh, but we can try, like I can explain the rules to you. We can play through it. You know, if it's a competitive game, guess what? Your first game's going to suck. You're not going to win, but like we, we could play this a few times and you're going to get better. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Not always true. I played Everdell with David once and he doesn't want to play with me anymore because I'm too good. Uh, I never said that. I know. I'm just talking <laughs> shit. <laughs> uh, David, David like came into the game thinking it was going to be like a really good experience for learning and I picked up on it way too quickly. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say you picked up on, on it too quickly. Uh, I think you just picked on it, picked up, picked it up faster than the two other people were playing. And then also we were playing remotely and on digital, digital right. versions. So there was also a whole other learning curve on there, but yeah. Question number two. Well, we'll we'll send it to David. You have to ask yourself how much are they willing to learn. Do you have a group of people that is going to want a bunch of rules, or those three rules that's keeping people from playing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I I know that we kind of talked about this a little earlier. Um, rules complexity is a big thing, uh, and a, a big part of teaching or people learning games is the environment that they're in. You know, if you're at a, if you're at a house party or if you're at a social event with people, you know, you're, they're not going to want to spend an hour learning a game. That's when you pull out the easy to play games like coup or even cards against humanity as, as overplayed that game is. Um, it's still a great game for, for parties and stuff like that because it gets, gets people talking it gets people interacting. But then if you are planning an actual board game day, you know, it's a Saturday and people are coming over or it's just a rainy day. You know, people are more willing to learn more complex games if they know that they're blocking out a chunk of time of their day to learn that. Absolutely. Now, when it comes to question number three, you always have to ask yourself, how much are they willing to learn? Owen. Yeah. So again, we 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 just did that one. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, but, oh, sorry. Are they competitive? I just read the same one twice. My bad. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. No worries. Uh, yeah. So, competitive games—that's a big thing. Like, if you're gonna put down a game, like a risk style game, or like, um, you know, are—is this person gonna be super salty at the end of it if they don't win? Is this person gonna like flip the table on you, or are they gonna be um, more happy with like a, a cooperative game? or something that you're working together to beat an objective, right? Um, that's really big. So I've had games where, yeah, you, you put down a game and, and again, the first time you, you play a game with somebody and it's competitive, you're going to win. and or, or, you know, they might get lucky and win. And that's well, great for them, but it's not... Well, the like, first time you and I played Scythe, you, you just completely obliterated me. I think I had two victory points. Yeah. Um, but then the first time we played Tapestry... I completely obliterated everyone else. So, you know, yeah. there's a big difference. I think kind of to, to, to add to this one though, if you're teaching someone a new game, do not pick a game that has player elimination. Oh, that's big. Yeah. Because player elimination is a mechanic that I think a lot of people are dislike and more and more games are kind of steering away from, or they're, they have an elimination, but you can come back as in a weaker state. Um, Player elimination, especially for someone who is new to a game, who doesn't know the mechanics, you know that you're going to beat them. And if someone loses a game and they can no longer play, then it just makes them not want to play the game anymore. But yeah, they're just going to sit at the table just watching everybody else play. That's not fun for them. Yeah. It's kind of like um, like uh, games like Ultimate Werewolf, where it's like, guess what? You're dead. Go sit in the other room while we finish the game, right? Mm-hmm. Like That's not fun. I'd agree with those points. The next question is very simple. Owen, you've already talked to it a little bit, so I'm going to let you double down and then I'll give David the last one. But is there a theme they might enjoy? Yeah. So I think 
theme in games is super important. Um, I know there's some games out there that they they slap like a theme on the box, but it doesn't really translate into the game. But games like um, Dead of Winter, where they have the um, the crossroads deck. So on your turn, the person to your right, I think it is, draws a card from the crossroads deck. And it's this little situation that could or could not happen. And like, if it does trigger, if it does happen, you know, there's this uh, choice that has to be made. Or it's like, um, hey, we get, uh, you know, we get a bunch of food or we have to kick somebody out of the colony, right? And everybody has to kind of hum and hard and talk about it and vote on it. Or the person whose turn it is has to make that decision. And, you know, in, in the theme of the game, like this is this is the dead of winter. There are zombies all around us. You know, it really brings you into that game and really gets you into the theme. Or something like Horrified, where like you're playing monsters trying to get villagers. Or Betrayal, where like, you know, you're in a room and a, like a hand jumps out, like a severed hand will jump out and grab you by the face. And you got to roll to see if you dodge it or if like, you know, if you don't, it's going to like grab you and it's going to give you damage, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, like things like that just draws you so far into the game uh, and lore and like backstory, like all that stuff is just so important. All right. All right. And final question you'd ask yourself is, are we playing a card game or a board game? They're two very different styles, two very different learning co- uh, curves. Mm-hmm. I think um, I, I mentioned this a little before. A, a big decision or, or a big reason for selecting one or the other is how much time you have to play and the environment. Um, I know there are card games that take a lot of time because they're story-based, um, like the Arkham Horror card game or there's games like star wars destiny or you know lord of the rings living card game all that stuff like there's a there's a ton of card games that take up a bunch of space that aren't necessarily short games um and those are also just kind of in the same category as board games you know but it depends on the person sometimes card games are actually easier to teach because there's less components you have a deck of cards you might have a few other tokens or dice or something like that that goes with it. But ultimately, you're just kind of playing with the cards themselves. And everything that you need to know is on the cards that are in your hand. Um, but if you're at a party or if you're with a larger group of people, you know, some of those party party card games are better. Um, I There are board games like Boulder Dash and was it Scattergories? and cranium which are more like they are designed to be party games with more of a board game kind of feel to them Um, but ultimately it comes down to the environment you're in Uh, like i wouldn't necessarily bring out betrayal if i was at a a party with you know a dozen people and people are you know having drinks barbecue all that stuff because it's not really a, a game that fits the environment but you know, bring out a game of coup there, right? Get a few people together or even um, some newer ones like trial by trolley, you know, things like that, that get the conversation flowing and stuff like, so it depends on the environment. Cool. So where we're going to go from here is we're going to list off a few beginner games before the end of our episode today. Now um, the guys have already mentioned board game geek 
And the reason I want to bring this up again is it's very important. Anytime we bring up a game, we're going to give you the board game geek score. We're not affiliated with them or sponsored by them. We just figure this is the Wikipedia of games and it's the most accurate information we could possibly give you opposed to us finding it on multiple different websites. All right. So the first game that we listed off as a beginner game for people to get into is Azul. David, do you want to hit this one? Yeah. Uh, Azul, uh, it's current rating on board game geek is 7.8 which is actually i would say fairly average for a highly rated game um on their their user rating game came out in 2017 and all it really is is a tile laying game um it is super easy to learn the rules are very straightforward it is a beautiful game and it is it's it's not difficult to teach either. Um, this is the perfect game to play at a cottage or on a rainy day or even just a, a Sunday afternoon out on your 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 patio. You know, um, this was a game I think that everyone needs to play at least once. Um, the amount of strategy in this game for such a simple game is you know is phenomenal. Um, the basics of the game is you are laying tiles and you collect tiles from a central supply and you want to create a pattern on your board. And once a, oh, and you just have to conf- just double <laughs> check this with me. Uh, okay. it's once the line, one person has a complete line, right? Yeah, that so the round ne- finishes. Yeah, so next to the like the grid, there's um there's lines of like one space, two space, three spaces, and four spaces. And once you fill up those spaces, that color tile gets moved onto the grid, filling up that space. Mm. So once um someone kind of completes a line or or their their tile, then that round ends, and then you score points based off of the positioning of the tiles on your board this game is like i said there's a there's a ton of strategy to it because all the tiles that are available are open for people to see they do have a there is a bag that you draw more tiles out um, at the end of a round but for the most part everyone can see what's on the board and you can see everyone else's boards as well so you can see what they are trying to uh, com- complete on their board so you can rush through and finish around very quickly but you won't necessarily get a lot of points or you can be strategic and take tiles that you know that their your opponents are going to need um, this is a great game for two people this is a great game and it scales very well to four um yeah um, this this is just something that i have always brought with me on camping trips and going to the cottage and stuff like that, because it's a easy game to set up and play. And I don't think I've ever met someone who has not liked this game after playing it. Yeah. Uh, have you guys all played uh, rummy cube, something like that? Did I have you? not. No, no. Really? Oh yeah. That's so funny. Cause like rummy cube is the game that like 
my mom plays, my grandma plays. Like, I bet you a lot of people's parents have played Rummy Cube or like a Rummy game like that. And that's what this is. Like, mm-hmm. Azul is a Rummy game where all the information that you need is in front of you, and you're going to pick what you need, denying the other players something that they might need. Right. That's kind of like the idea of it. And and Azul has like the base game is just called Azul, but then they there are some uh, different versions of it that they've changed some of the layouts and the mechanics and stuff like that. There's Azul Summer Pavilion. That one came out in 2019 and Azul Stained Glass of Sintra, which uh, that came out in 2018. And both of which those both games are over a seven rating on board game geek so the it's very similar mechanics um all the games great artwork great components and stuff like that um and they're Um, very simple to learn um azul like yeah the the pieces look like candy like they look so beautiful and perfect like the the tiles and um i also have the uh stained glass sintra that game is better than the original like the mechanics are much better and the gameplay is much better Interesting. I think, or it sounds like the game is very much like sequence, but more colorfully driven and a little bit more involved. And sequence is also a very basic game where you're just following card patterns. So sounds like one that we should definitely pick up. Um, and we're going to move on to the next game on our list. Um, is it, is it pronounced Machikoro? I, I believe that's what Machikoro. it says in front of me. Machikoro. Machikoro. Yeah. All right. So I've got it here as a 6.6 on Board Game Geek. Um, and it's essentially what you guys were talking about earlier, develop, uh, developing a sea, uh, city, sorry, um, and becoming the mayor, right? So tell me about it. Uh, okay. Yeah. So basically, uh, you are spending some money to buy. Um, God, I, I, I forgot to play <laughs> this game. I just really. Oh, so, so, yeah. So you start off with, I'll, I'll, I've played this game quite a bit. So you start off with a few uh, plots of land, a farm, and whatnot. And you roll a dice. And essentially what happens is, depending on what number you roll on the dice, either your cards will activate or another person's cards will activate and depending on the type of card, either you're going to get money, you're going to give them money or, or whatnot. Ultimately the goal is to collect the most money to be able to build the most uh, plots of lands, different shop, excuse me, different shops, different uh, just lots of different things that will get you money and then be the first person to build four landmarks. Um, and the, the, once the, first person builds four landmarks the game ends and they're the winner it's a super simple game um there's been a few re-implementations of this it so this is a 6.6 rating on board game geek and as i mentioned earlier in the the show for me a game that is a six or higher on their board game geek rating is generally something that i enjoy and that i know is going to be a game that is uh worth playing um I have some games that are, you know, fours and fives that I really enjoy, but they're traditionally not considered the, the best games. Um, Machikoro is a, a simple game to learn. It is another game where everything's out on the board. There's no, no hitting cards, 
no hidden dice, no nothing. So, right. So you can see exactly what people are, are doing. You can see exactly how close to winning someone is. Um, but there is a sense of uh, a luck to the game with that dice that you're rolling. Yeah. I think that'd be good. It's like, that'd be a good for families, like, especially with like, you know, younger kids, like, uh, cause again, like you said, it's, it's not complicated. It's like, Hey, I'm going to, I have like three bucks. I'm going to buy this building. It goes into my play area. And when I roll dice or someone else rolls dice and that number comes up, I get that bonus or I get that. So like, that's the premise of the game. And then you're just trying to get enough money to buy those, um, landmarks. So it's, and it's, a, I think to, to kind of expand on your point, it, it is a great game for families and, and young children and stuff like that, because you don't necessarily even have to read to understand what the cards do, right? They're all color coded. They all have nice artwork that is very different from the other. And as long as one person can explain what they do, you know, you know how to play the game. Yeah. The art is so cute. I love the art in Machikoro. Sounds like a, a second game I should be picking up for, <laughs> for somebody hosting a, a board game show. Uh, I haven't played either of these games. I have played the next one though. I, I've, I play it quite fondly since David introduced it to me. Um, we've picked up our own copy of it, but it's horrified uh, with a 7.8 ranking on board game geek concept, a simple and very themed classic movie monsters terrorize a town. Can your team stop them in time? We got a co-op game that's themed. What do you guys think? I, I think this game, when it uh, so it came out in 2019, and there was a lot of buzz about this game when it when it came out. Um, it sold very well, and it's a 7.8 on Board Game Geek, which is a f- fairly high rating. This game is more of a classic traditional board game. It has a board. It has characters that you move around the city. It has tokens that you collect and everyone's working towards a, a goal. The one very unique thing about this game is that you can change it up every time you play by selecting the... Um, the different combinations of monsters, right? Yeah, and so for anyone who has seen like the classic Universal monster movies like Dracula, um, Frankenstein, the Swamp Cre- Thing... yeah. You know, so it's cool because there is different gameplay mechanics that are introduced throughout the game and it doesn't break the game in any, any way. You know, you can play the game five different times with five different combinations of monsters and nothing is really broken, right? Like uh, we've played games where, you you know, some expansions kind of break a mechanic in the base game, right? And it doesn't feel like that th- that happens in this one. No, uh, yeah, horrified is great, especially if it's um, if you know the person you're playing with or people you're playing with are horror fans, and they can play against these like just yeah classic creatures. And just the art in that game is phenomenal. Like they did such a great job uh, with all the artwork and and the mechanics. It's so much fun. Mm-hmm. This game, to me at least, has a one of those classic feels of if you're playing this game with that, like that horror music in the background too, you're so immersed you that you have no idea what's going on around you. It's very, very. Yeah. Uh, whenever we're playing a game that's like horror themed, I'll usually put on some like uh, a creepy playlist or something like that. And yeah, that just draws you in. It just adds to that mm-hmm. theme. And 
that's the kind of game that you want. You want a game that's going to draw you in, draw the people in, get them really involved. And I think, yeah, Horrified is one that's going to do that. Well, this game is a prime example of something that I chose to teach you, Sean, and I knew that uh, your girlfriend would be playing with us or potentially, right? So I don't really know her tastes in games. I know the things that the games that you guys have in your collection, but I don't really know her on that level. So I figured this was a good game that I could teach the mechanics. We could change the difficulty depending on how we feel, how we feel. And um, everyone kind of knows these everyone at the table knew who these monsters were and it turned into a okay i'm going to com- play this game at the or teach you guys this game and within 10 15 minutes you guys had the mechanics down pat and we got to the point where we were being very strategic about okay like i'm going to go and collect this item here uh, i'm going to meet you here transit this item you go like it became less of a the learning curve in that game was so small that we got into the game so quickly and then next thing you know i'm getting a picture from you saying uh look what we bought right (laughs) and that's a prime example of a you know introducing a new game to someone and getting them hooked right yeah for sure and like those games that have those easy mechanics like if you uh like i think we'll talk about like campaign games later but most of the time in campaign games you have what it's what you do is you move and then you do an action. That's like what you do on your turn. Right. Uh, and like things like that, like it looks kind of daunting, but the actual learning curve is pretty small. Like you said. Exactly. So where we're going to do, or what we're going to do is we're going to leave it here. If you like these games that we've talked about, definitely give them a try and pick them up. Now, Owen is right. We are going to talk about campaign games and other games in another episode. And in fact, our next episode which will air, I I believe, two weeks from now. David, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, We'll feature a little bit more party games and board games, as well as like starter games that you can play that are not Catan. With that being said, that is it for this one. We have run out of time, and we're so happy you joined us on this journey. If you liked what you're listening to, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you can find any podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at sceneonscreen underscore pod. For myself, David, and our new friend Owen, thanks for listening. Enjoy your next game.